Thank you for listening to the Following Films podcast. Today I'm joined by Tom George. Tom is a director and sometimes writer of TV and film. He directed all three series of the acclaimed BBC comedy This Country. I had Tom on the show today to talk about his latest film, See How They Run. The film is set in 1950s London, while plans for a movie version of a smash hit play come to an abrupt halt after a pivotal member of the crew is murdered. When a world-weary inspector and an eager rookie constable take on the case, they find themselves thrown into a puzzling whodunit within the glamorously sordid world of underground theater, investigating the mysterious homicide at their own peril. The film features incredible performances by Adrian Brody, Saoirse Ronan, and Sam Rockwell. The film will be available on VOD on November 1st. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to do this. I really appreciate it. No, not at all. Thanks for having me. Well, I had a chance to watch the film this morning, and this is a film that scratched a niche I didn't know I had <laughs> for this type of. Honestly, I that because of my age, I'm 46. The the a lot of the referential points here, I come into them through films that were referencing them already, like Hudsucker Proxy and things like that. These sort of period pieces that came out in the 80s and 90s and that were yeah. referring back to this time as opposed to what it really came from. And I'm wondering for yourself, what's your history like with you know Agatha Christie or maybe even just these sort of uh, very broad interpretations of these mystery stories like this? Mm. Well, I um, I have... Co- <laughs> Over here, we can't. You can't really avoid being exposed to Agatha Christie. It's kind sure. of like you, you just honestly. Each every year, there'll be a new adaptation. Um, when I was growing up as a kid, there was a famous uh, series of Poirot starring a, a great actor called David Suchet over here, and that was like Saturday night prime time um, viewing. And so that was definitely the kind of entry entry point for me. Um, but I wouldn't say that I was a huge. Christie fan. I'd read a, a number of her books when I was younger, but I, I didn't come into this as a sort of huge Christie fan, and that wasn't my main motivation for getting involved in the project. Um, I suppose, kind of like you, the things that um, drew me into the types of stories and, and the and certainly the time period were um, what were other films, I think, but not necessarily the the, the things you might assume, not, not other Agatha Christie adaptations or even other mysteries, you know. Um, things that, like, are, are, you know, the kind of films that I'm thinking of and indeed was, like, revisiting it when we were sort of preparing for this film were things like um, The Big Lebowski by the Coen. Oh, sure, yeah. Which, which, again, is, like, really a sort of noirish mystery v- itself. Visually, that's I think that's why I was thinking um, Hudsucker, because I was thinking Coen Brothers. There's a lot of <laughs> visual jokes that you use here with like you know, the way you'll stay in a frame and then the car that follows afterwards. That feels very Coen Brothers-esque to me. Yeah, and they're like probably the masters, I would say, of um, holding a-, a thriller alongside a comedy or comic elements within a thriller. You know, I mean... They're themselves, you know, I'm sure we're looking back to Hitchcock for lots of that and some of the Ealing comedies as well from, you know, what we know of their um, uh, of their work. So, um, but they, they certainly, you know, were a big reference point for me in terms of that ability to hold the comedy and hold the thrills, you know, because it, it was clear to me from the first time I read the script that that was 
um, what we could do if we did it well and got it right. We could create something that felt like a, a, a thriller, a murder mystery in its own right, but also had this layer of comedy, this character comedy alongside it. Um, so, yeah, definitely the Coens. Um, and, and as I say, some of the things that I'm sure influenced the Coens, you know, um, Kind Hearts and Coronets, for example, is one of my favourite of the healing comedies. And again, you've got this really dark tale of murder, not quite murder mystery because you're following the killer, but mm-hmm. um, but this criminal story. And yet it's got great comedy in it as well. And so those were definitely the things that I was looking at, things that had that odd tonal mix. Um, it's yeah. something that's really hard to pull off, though. I think that you'll have films that when they're trying to sort of create that balance between the comedy and thriller, you'll have either it's too plot heavy and it gets too caught up in its own, you know, cleverness and it forgets to be fun at the same time, mm-hmm. or it'll get so light that you kind of lose the stakes of this thing. And I think you find a really fun balance here and you do this thing with the way you deliver exposition here. It, Cause there's, that's always the case with these types of films. You're going to have, large amounts of exposition for any of this to make sense that you have to get out and you do it in a way that it doesn't feel like you're taking medicine. It's always done in a way that's entertaining. And I think that's uh, something that's really clever that's pulled off here. That's great to hear. Yeah. I think, um, no, it was definitely something we're conscious of through the whole process, you know, tuning the, uh, exactly as you say, if, if you lean too heavily into the comedy you can undermine the stakes of your story and the thriller kind of falls apart. But if you, you know, lean too too heavily towards the the sort of thriller elements, the, the you can lose that comic thread. I mean, a classic thing for me is that, that you see in in um, you know th- many films face the challenge of the first forty five minutes or maybe hour is like filled with jokes and uh, and and also managing to do the thrills, and then the last half hour where everything necessarily ramps up story wise it turns into a sort of straight ahead thriller. And you see it in action comedies as well. How many action comedies were for the first half of the film? It's like zinging on both sides. And then the last half hour is basically like any action film. They're like the comedy's yeah. completely forgotten. And what was brilliant about Mark's, you know, script was that he manages to keep those comic um, elements in play right the way to the finish. E- even as the stakes are rising and, and, uh, and you know, the thriller's building to its own conclusion. Um, and some of my favourite um, comic elements are in that final um, chapter that happens um, at the remote country house where all these uh, kind of stories end up. And um, and still, there's you know brilliant comic moments there. So um, no, it was a real like real testament to, to Mark Scripps. And there's actually something that happens in that third act, obviously without giving anything away. And I honestly feel like this is a film that I don't want to ruin anything, but it's almost spoiler proof that the joy in this film is just spending time with these characters really more than anything else. And that I think that's, what's revealed to me in the, the final act is there's a warmth here that you can, you don't feel judgment of these characters the entire time, but the way things come around. And I would say just, especially the little, it's a slight little turn with Adrian Brody towards the very end of here in this almost shining esque moment that happens that is just, it's really touching and it's hard. It like completely changed to me, changed my opinion of the, uh, of the character, even though I didn't feel he was being judged the whole time. It's just, there's, it just shows that these characters are far more dynamic than you would normally see in kind of a genre film like this. Yeah, that's, that's great to hear. And yeah, I love like, 
you know, we, we get a chance to sort of see Adrian's character again. It's no secret that he's the, the murder victim. And that there's various ways that um, we manage to keep his character in play throughout the story. And, um, yeah, the, as the, the part you're referring to when we get to sort of have one more glimpse of him and, and get to see him and Sam's character together, it was like, um, yeah, really too good to turn down. But, um, but yeah, I agree. It's like, I think that's, you know, what I hope is in the film is that on the one hand, these um, characters or many of these characters in some way nod to tropes that people will be familiar with from the genre. You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of the point. But at the same time, through a mix of Mark's writing and these brilliant performances, they feel rooted. They're, they're like real people. They're not kind of two-dimensional caricatures. And when you feel like you've got them pinned uh, pinned down, um, they'll, you know, um, sh- show some nuance or, or surprise you somehow. And I think you see that with um, Sam's character, Serge's character, certainly Adrian's character. And, um, and you know, that's, that's uh, I think, one of the hopefully satisfying things about the film. Oh, uh, absolutely. And it's all three of them that do have, and the performances here, my God. They're, this film is stacked up top to bottom. But with these performances that I could have, it could have gone off in any number of directions and I would have been happy to hang out with any of these people for, you know, 90 minutes. And just, you look at the, the evolution of the characters though. And it's just, I, weirdly enough, I I think it's probably Sam's character that has the biggest move in the film because he's so reserved and so small that he had any slight movement feels like it's a whole, you know, it's, that the whole character has been redefined almost by that. But like the, the work that Sersha does with so little is so mm. impressive. Some of my biggest laughs were just literally the way that she would look at a situation and just in her eyes. And my God, her, her comedic timing. in this is just, it's she's hanging, she's sitting next to Sam Rockwell and holding her own, which is not something that's easy to do. Yeah, totally. She, I mean, she's like incredibly funny in the film and, and, you know, like a chance for her to do something that she hasn't really done before in terms of sort of an out-and-out an out comedy, I think. Um, but also, like, similarly with Sam, like, um, something different for him in a yeah, comedy. It is. Usually he's a more outlandish character, um, the larger-than-life, you know, the big sort of uh, comic turn. Um, and actually seeing him kind of play the straight man for at least a large portion of the film alongside Sasha's character um, was really nice. and. But of course, what he it'll never be straight as in dull with Sam, and he's always um, finding you know interesting oddities in in behaviour for his characters that really just make them feel real and make them feel three dimensional and um, and like you want to know more about them. But getting to you know watch the two of them um, work each day on set was one of the best things of the whole process for me. And you'll notice like there's a lot of two shots in the film, lots of group shots, yeah. you know play them in the same frame and for precisely that reason like often the funniest thing is um you know sam watching sasha while she's you know saying the line and you know that chance to to kind of present both those the two characters side by side and and for me it's always the most satisfying in the comedy is um when you allow the audience to find the thing that that tickles them do you know what i mean it's like um for some people, that will be the, the line of dialogue. For others, it will be the little um, look from Sam that other people might not notice. And and when you, you know, play them in two shots or, you know, um, simple coverage, 
um, it really like asks the audience to kind of play along, I think, with that and to sort of engage in a different way. Oh, for absolutely. It's not, I mean, you do have comedy that comes from the way that it is cut together. And by the way, shots are pulled together into each other, but really I think, and those are some of my favorite moments in the film, but really the ones that just, when I think of what were the things that really made me laugh out loud in this, it's something like the notebook scene, which on paper is something that's so small. And even in the execution of it, it's not big in what they're doing. It's just this little back and forth. That's so tiny and intimate, but it's, it just killed me. Yeah. Is that the one in the car? Um, yeah exactly yeah and and that's a really special one for me because the back end of that scene some of the best stuff was actually kind of found through improvisation and like for me um you know mark's script was incredibly tightly honed so much of it has to be played as written because it's it's almost mathematical and and, Mm -hmm. and it's sort of smart and the way it, it functions but for me i always like to have an element of improv in play even if it's um you know, just to keep the material fresh as you get into take nine or take 10 or take 11, um, you know, particularly with comedy, you, part of the challenge is how do you keep it feeling alive when everyone knows now how it's going to play and, and where the funny bits are. Um, and so um, that was, you know, that at the back end of that scene, which um, where they're sort of um, – I'm picking the like nature of Sersha's note making, whether it's, you know, makes any sense is um, it all came from just uh, playing with Sam and Sersha in the rehearsal room and, and sort of following that thread and seeing where it led. And, um, and then we, you know, worked it in to do it on the day and yeah, it turns out to be one of my favorite bits of the film too. So. Yeah. yeah. I, I loved it. That's the, one of those things that I only had a chance to watch it this morning, but I, when I'm going back and th- this is one of those films that I could imagine just having on and it's just one of those comfort films that you kind of that used to play on tv all the time when i was a kid back when we used to watch live you know cable and you would just kind of walk into the room while you're doing something else you're like oh this is that bit and you sit down for a minute and then go about your day i could imagine this being one of those ones that's just on all the time in my house because it seems like something that will absolutely reward revisiting um especially the split screen stuff where it's impossible to focus on just one on both sides when you're doing mm. that so you have to kind of choose what you're looking at and there's obviously pieces of information that you're not maybe getting or maybe your eye focus was pulled in the wrong direction there's a little bit of misdirect there where there could have been information th- those kinds of things that i'm just really looking forward to going back and picking this thing apart a little bit more yeah and in addition like there's so many little gems and easter eggs built into the dialogue of Mark's scripts like little um you know foreshadowing or um or um you know, referencing of the genre elements in the genre that uh, it's, you know, you could quite easily not get on that first watch through. So yeah, I hope it stands up to the second view. I think it, I think it will. Well, there, I mean, I knew right away, there's things that were references that I just didn't know what they were because at first it's the film is, it's so it's far more based in reality than people might be aware of when they watch this, (laughs) if they're not familiar, especially somebody here in the States that might not be, aware of this play that's been running up until covid it was the first time that play shut down from this initial time and yeah. with and it was these... a back on after covid as well it's back up and running it's 17 crazy. <laughs> i mean that yeah that was i remember that was one of the stories that came out when this shut down that was like yeah this is the only thing that's ever stopped it in the middle of everything that's happened since yeah. then that it was just 
that. So there's all these little nods to things that are going on. You know, the story about the African queen and all these little things that are going mm-hmm. on there. That's legitimately when you walk outside, that was the production company that made that. And, you know, you kind of go back through and I'm like, man, I, I need, I like need to pull out IMDB while I'm watching this film just so that I can make sure I'm not, I'm not missing yeah, well, anything from the film school. Is a layer of, sort of, um, you know, film history in there as well, because Saoirse's characters are such a cinephile. Mm-hmm. And of course, like, you know, it's not, although it's about the play, really the characters who we meet are, are drawn together because they're trying to make a film adaptation of the play. So there's this, um, you know, the whole element of um, the history of cinema and, and sort of cinema of the period is in there as well. So, yeah, it's, uh, Mark's script is, was um, it, dense with uh, little Easter eggs for sure. <laughs> Which is one of the things that, again, it's that magic trick of having something that's this dense, this rich, this layered, but feels mm. very light. You don't feel the weight of this film in that sense. It's something a lot of times when you have something that is that detailed, that it, you can feel the weight of the film. You can feel that there's just all this pressure of it. And this just, it just goes through. And I think that it's the, ex- the experience is enriched by having that knowledge, but not necessary for this. Totally. I think that's something that was always really important to me, you know, because you've got this whole meta layer, uh, you know, alongside the the core story which is that this is a murder mystery but it's also a film that's about murder mysteries um and that was something that like got me excited about the film from the start but it's also something you've got to be careful about i think because if it starts to feel like it's too many in jokes or or really that's all that it's dining out on then it drifts into like kind of pure spoof i would say yeah. and um and can like push an audience away if it feels like you know what this isn't for me i'm not there's too many things that I'm not getting. It feels like I should be getting and I'm not sure there's anything else there. So from the first time Mark and I talked about it, you know, we both agreed that it, it had to work um, without any of those elements. Do you know what I mean? The core story mm-hmm. of the two detectives, um, Saoirse and Sam's characters, entering this sort of world where they're completely out of their element, you know, um, that was the heart of the story. Really, it's a story about a partnership and it's about these these whether these two unlikely partners can come together to kind of crack the case. Um, and then one, if, if that foundation is solid, then I think you can have that extra layer. And if you get it, you get it. And if you don't, no judgment. We move on. There's, there's another funny thing coming or there's another sort of little twist or there's something, you know, you don't need any of that, that sort of um, that knowledge. You know, you don't need to bring that knowledge yourself to the film. So, yeah, again, making sure the core of the story was, um, was satisfying. So that then that's those uh, additional elements are kind of like the icing on the top. Uh, absolutely. And there's uh, something that I just thought of while you were saying that, that, um, that could be distracting in a film like this. It's often um, we see Australian actors, we see British actors, we see Irish actors doing American accents and they pull it off all the time flawlessly. And those of us that live in the States were shocked that they're not one of us. And so <laughs> it's like, wow, look, I had no idea. Uh, but oftentimes it's a little bit of an embarrassment when an American actor gets hired to pull up the British accent and it just doesn't go very well. Mm. Um, I've, I not being a good judge of this, it feels like Sam really pulled it off here though. Yeah, I think he really pulled it off. And, um, but you're right. It was one of the, you know, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't a thing <laughs> I was worried about. Of course. Of course. Cause you know, we've, we've all got those sort of nightmarish accents in our minds, you know? Um, so, yeah, it was definitely something I thought about. From the first conversation I had with Sam, though, um, 
what became clear and that maybe people might not know about him is like he's an incredibly hard worker and he yeah. was it, it was like really clear from chatting to him that he was only going to do this if he thought he could get it right um and yeah he worked really really hard on it the funny thing was that he um he was like oh um i've got a a couple of friends too i'm doing the accent doing a bad accent um he said i've got a couple of friends to record um the lines for me or some vowel sounds you know um but of course um so that he could have them you know on his ipod and um because he's still got an ipod and uh <laughs> in between takes and he could like use it for rehearsing and he really he wanted to really get his ear in on those things but being sam his friends were um the actor eddie marson and um who's the other one martin freeman oh wow um, okay like, oh. yeah so um so he had you know these brilliant actors record little sections for him or little sounds so that he then in between takes, like in between scenes, he would have his his iPod in and be um, be playing those back. So that's kind of how dedicated he was to getting it right. And and it's a tricky accent because it's like it's sort of not a posh accent and it's not a not a sort of East End Barrow Boy sort of accent. And it's somewhere in the middle. And those middle mm-hmm. accents are sometimes the hardest to tune into, I think. Um, but yeah, he did a he did a great job, and and uh, that was a big relief. <laughs> Well, it's it's this thing where it's almost you're waiting for him to talk when he first comes on screen, you know, because you yeah. he has a he has a movie star entrance in this film, the way that he's presented in the movie. It's absolutely one of those things. And it takes a moment for him to speak. And you're like, oh, here's Sam Rockwell. OK, let's let's see what this is. Is, mm-hmm. he just, is it just going to be him in his normal voice? And then you hear the voice. And I it's before the scene finishes. You're already forgotten Sam Rockwell's natural voice and you're just invested in this character. Yeah, great. And then alongside him, obviously, we had like the chance to see Saoirse doing her own accent for like the first time in a long time. Um, and she's like one of those people you're talking about where you're so used to seeing her do a flawless English yeah. accent or a flawless American accent. Um, that I think, um, yeah, for some people, it will be a surprise that she's uh, <laughs> she's actually. In fact, I saw a couple of there were a couple of funny comments on social media. Um, saying things like, um, you know, um, what was this crazy accent? <laughs> no, I, it, it literally, it took me a moment to recognize her because of her voice in this. Right. But it's yeah. just the costume, the voice. It's just, a, I mean, her look isn't that much different, but it's just enough off. And it was the voice. And it's like, oh, my God, that, that, that there she is, because I'm expecting to see her. And it's, it took a minute for it to register with me. Well, she's such a chameleon as well, isn't she? She like really does like seem to change. Her face seems to change across the things, though. Like, but in terms of the accent, it wasn't originally scripted for an Irish accent. It was, you know, the idea was that it was a London police officer. And the first conversation that Sasha and I had, she said, how do you feel about it? You know, being me doing it in my own accent. And, you know, that on the one hand, like, that was so i'm always into that anyway because if you can have the actor you know notwithstanding everything we just said about sam's brilliant work if you can have the actor do their own accent particularly in comedy particularly where you want to have bits of looseness or improvisation in play then so much the better um but the added element that i didn't predict and, and should have was just how much richer it made the character from you you almost get this extra layer of story there right away and because it's 1950s London. It was completely plausible there'd be a, be a sort of expat Irish person yeah. who moved to the city and is, you know, trying to make her way 
suddenly the character is so much more, so much richer, so much more interesting. Um, yeah, but that was all, that was all search and, um, yeah, but so, so great to just see how funny she is in the film. You know, it's like, you know, yeah, she's, she's really amazing. And again, it's just one of these specific moments that when you're saying that I was thinking of that, um, just the inspector constable scene where they're just saying each other's titles and it's yeah. this thing, there's something like there's the rule of threes. And then if, you know, you go one step <laughs> further, it's it just, to me, it's just, it's even funnier. Like how yeah. far can you push that? And I think you pushed that out as long as you possibly could have to the point where I thought the scene was over and you just throw it in there one more time. And I was so happy about that. Yeah. Those scenes with, um, Sam Asertia's characters, so the constable and the inspector, and then um, the police commissioner, the chief of police, a yeah. brilliant um, British comic actor called Tim Key. And those three-handers are like some of my favourite scenes. You know, they're, they're just brilliant together. And as you say, there's this sort of running joke of the, the way that in a sort of, you know, police hierarchy, you end by saying the, the, the sort of uh, person's uh, rank or whatever. So you get this lovely musical circles of uh, constable, inspector, commissioner, constable, <laughs> commissioner, as they all, you know, so, and, and like you say, it's like, you know, Sam pointed out that it was a similar, um, it's a similar thing to the um, Heil Hitler thing that he, that he got to play with in Jojo Rabbit. Where right. everyone, yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone, we were just high hitlering so and so, and now we're high hitlering so and so, and now you've arrived and we're high hitlering you, and um, <laughs> and it's true. There's something like about those um circular jokes that that sort of um have that musicality to them, which are really like joyous, but <laughs> it's dangerous. You got to not like sooner or later you got to drop it. Yeah. Oh no, no, no! It and that's what's so, so much of the. It's the thing I love about this film. It's not just one thing, and the humor is not just one thing. It's these mm. very small character-driven moments. It's very small, subtle moments you might not even notice the first time around. But it's also very broad things, and then it's also referential, and it's just it's all over the place. So I think that you could have four different people that would watch this film and all find it hilarious for four wildly different reasons. Yeah, I hope that's true. That that's. And that's certainly something that's always like um, really appeals to me is like having a mix of comic elements in play. You know, even physical comedy, there's sort of occasional moments of like out and out physical comedy when, uh, you know, Sam gets his coat caught in the car door when he's sort of trying to get out. There's these little um, almost silent movie moments that crop up within the within the film. I'm thinking about the butler going for the rifle later on as well. There's these yeah. like a very visual uh, kind of silent movie era jokes or, or comic touches. Um, yeah, I'm the same. I always like, I like, you know, there are some things that do it brilliantly and it's one style of humor all the way through the film. And, and that's the way of doing things. I always like it, you know, when there's the variety, not just for variety's sake, but it keeps you on your toes and you don't quite know where the next laugh is coming from. And that, for me, makes for a satisfying watch. I agree completely. And I, I know we're almost out of time here, but there is one last thing I would be remiss if I didn't mention how beautiful this film is. Just the look of oh, it. Thank uh, you. And the set design is gorgeous. The cinematography mm -hmm. is perfect here. I mean, this is just, I, I know this is playing. I watch this at home. I want to go watch this in a theater tonight because I know it's it's out. And I just so that I can see this thing projected on a big screen because it's just, it looks amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's, 
that's lovely to hear. And yeah, it was something that, you know, it felt like, as I said at the very start, like a, ch a chance for us to create a, a version of 1950s London that, that people hadn't seen before. You know, I was really clear that I didn't want it to drift into a familiar kind of nostalgic view of that period, sort of sepia tinted post-war London. I wanted to do something that, that different to that and that felt like it served this story. Um, but yeah, if you can see it in theatres, go and see it in theatres. If you're going to watch it at home uh, on November 1st when it's out, turn off motion blur, please, God. Yeah, oh, uh, God. Yeah, uh, just do that for everything. <laughs> Why is that the automatic default? I mean, if it's still on, we've got to talk. Already, already, <laughs> but, um, yeah, um, you know, I had a fantastic team. Um, uh, Amanda MacArthur was our production designer. Odile Dix Moreau was our costume designer, the two of them, and it worked really, really closely with me to sort of create the visual style of the world. And, and of course, alongside them, uh, Jamie Ramsey, who was a you know a brilliant DOP, who you know lit these fabulous um, looking scenes, and you know it was always felt like a key part of the story to show these characters surrounded by their world. You know, particularly because yeah. you've got these two police officers who are stepping into the unknown, into this sort of um, they're real fish out of water in this world of West End theatre. They're quite monochrome in their looks, you know, very little colour, police uniform, detectives outfit but they're stepping into these rich, vibrant worlds. And it felt like there was a, a clear route to some, you know, strong visual storytelling there. And so to have this brilliant team come together and and, um, and kind of create this, you know, amazing world for these characters to then live in was like, yeah, really, really special. Well, I, I just right off the bat, I was floored by it because I looked at the at the nightclub sequence that you have in the beginning of this and just the depth of that particular set. I don't know how much of that was actually a building. It felt completely real to me, but now with stagecraft, I I don't know. I'm kind of, it's getting a little bit uh, too good for me where I can't pick it mm. out always, but like something like that, I was, this is incredible. This is the set design here is just beautiful. And you just feel like you're immersed in it because I could see taking this script and thinking about it, that there's a way to do this almost as a black box piece that you could really mm -hmm boil this down to the essential pieces and do something in a theater it would lend itself to a really bare bones version of it but you went really the opposite direction here and made something really lush and beautiful yeah that's great to hear yeah i mean it, it was um no it was really special and and we got to film in some amazing locations a real mix of like on location shooting and, and building studio sets as well very little VFX, you know, the kind of invisible VFX of um, a little bit of period cleanup here, a lamppost or security sure. taken out here and there, but um, almost all in camera otherwise. And um, and we got to film in some incredible locations. It was one of the odd silver linings of shooting through the pandemic was we were able to get into some of the amazing theatres in London's West End to film at the Savoy Hotel. Beautiful. Um, no, usually when someone writes Savoy Hotel on there, you go, okay, well, we're not going to film it in the Savoy. So we, we actually got to do that. Um, so, and then, you know, some fabulous kind of set design um, on Amanda's part to to go hand in hand with that. And, and then my favourite of all, which is kind of hybrid of the two, you know, if you can find a brilliant location, but then bend it to your will a little to give you exactly what you need. And that's what um, Scotland Yard was, where the police headquarters, where they're... Yeah. Um, where they're based for the investigation. That was a kind of real location uh, that we then built into to kind of, you know, build the offices and, and kind of um, add all the elements that we needed within that. And um, yeah, having the sort of the chance to to kind of really create a world, I suppose, like, and, and as I said, 
a sort of what hopefully feels like a really um, fully realised version of 1950s London was, yeah, really special. It's it's one of those things that I think that audiences, they might not notice it when you get it right, but they notice it when you get it wrong. And so I think that, that that's kind of the, you don't want it to draw attention to itself in that sense. It just <laughs> needs to be the way to tell the story and nailed it, man. This is... yeah. And also it's like, a, you know, in a way it was quite a contained piece. Like the script, there's very few exteriors, not many anyway. There's very few big whites. It's an urban environment, yeah. you know. And it was clear we were going to, as the investi- investigation unfolds and the the uh, two detectives are, you know, we're following the two detectives on their journey. There would be a lot of interiors. So it was really important that those locations and those sets really speak to the characters who are inhabiting them and kind of add an extra layer to the story. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to do that. Well, I'm, I, I know we're out of time, but I just want to say congratulations on the film. This is, it was a joy to watch the film and it was great to speak with you and seeing this is, you're really early in your career. I'm a typical greedy American consumer. I want more. So <laughs> I'm really looking forward to whatever you have coming down the pike next time. Oh, was, thank you, man. Thanks so much. And this was a total pleasure. Uh, nice to Thank you. Congratulations, man. Hopefully Cheers, get to talk man. to you again. Take care. Time enough to figure you out Time enough to write this down Wish me luck, give me hope
Bitch crack.